and welcome to Baza Chats, where we talk about conversational AI, NLP-related stuff. Uh, and I am Rachel Chapman. I'm hosting you this time, and I am joined by very special guests that I am so excited to talk to, uh, Dr. Su Lin Bajet, who, um, when I was working more actively, Richard was working on uh, pretty much the same topic as I was. So. Um, how dialectal differences, language differences are reflected on in language use and how NLP that. Um, and uh, she just finished her PhD at UMass Amherst, right? Mm-hmm. I, I remembered. Uh, and now you're at Microsoft Research there. I'm trying to remember their acronym. <laughs> You can tell me what group there is. It's, ha- so I don't it's, say it wrong. it's, it's handy. It's fate, uh, fairness, and accountability, transparency, and ethics um, in Montreal. Well, in spirit, not in person. Uh, <laughs> I'm still in Amherst, but I hear Montreal's very nice. Yeah. So I was wondering if um, you would start by telling us a little bit of your research journey and why you get got interested in topics in the place and some of your main findings. Um, and if you can, maybe a little bit about what you're on now, because I yeah. think particularly <laughs> with for context for our audience, um, the EU just uh, shared their draft legislation around uh, accountable AI systems. Um, so I think this is something that is top of mind for many people. And it was a story. Yeah, so that's um, a huge question I could ramble for. If you ask me what, what I'm interested in, I could ramble for a long time. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I right now am kind of interested in a whole bunch of things that I guess I put under the umbrella of a very big umbrella of things like, you know, like something things under, you know, that I might call like the social implications of language technologies, which as you can imagine, is like a whole lot of things. So for me, that includes like, how like language technologies come to be, you know, what are the ideas that like in ideologies about language speakers that govern their like development, organizational dynamics and all these things. And, and then also kind of on the other side, right? Like how do they come to impact people? Um, how do they, how, how are people harmed? How are their benefits distributed? What do they, how do people come to encounter these things? Or is this like a whole lot of things? And then, um, you know, sort of, I guess, thinking like, uh, you know, like um, constructively about how to develop more equitable language technologies, what those processes would look like, what alternative models of developing um, and deploying these things. Like. So it's like a whole bunch of things you can imagine. There's like a million, bazillion things under this umbrella. And if, if I could clone myself, uh, you know, to do all these things, I would. Um, but I actually, right, so as you said, my early work was on African-American English or African-American language. And um, we worked with uh, with my advisor and um, Dr. Lisa Green, who is an AE expert at uh, UMass at Merce in the linguistics department. Um, and actually, uh, this early work, I think, was actually not really focused on, um, uh, it's, it's a bit hazy kind of the origins now, but it, <laughs> I'm not that old. I'm not even that old, but like sometimes like the, you know, how these things get started is sort of fuzzy. But uh I was actually just always interested in language variation, uh, just mm-hmm. as language variation. Um, so I actually, my mom is from Singapore. I spent uh, like a, a good chunk of my childhood in Singapore uh, and where there exists like tons of really interesting language variation and yeah. English is one very, like a really amazing variety of um, English. And so I think I was always interested in language variation. And in fact, we, 
I think early on, we actually tried, uh, I was really interested in Singlish on social media. And I think it happened that we mm. couldn't get enough data, right? It's like not a huge, um, not a really very big island and there wasn't a lot of social media data. And we, and we, we turned it to language varieties that are more widely spoken and also for which there was expert Dr. Green uh, at UMass. Um, but what popped out of our findings, uh, you know, of, of, of that early work was that uh, NLP tools, um, so at the time we were looking at two kinds of NLP tools. One was language identification. So you take a text mm -hmm. and you start what's the language it's in, the major world language, right? Which itself is um, kind of contested, right? What counts as a major world language. Uh, and, and also um, dependency parsing tools, right? So tools to kind of output like structures of sentences. Uh, and we were looking at uh, the performance of those on, on, natural, uh, on uh, African-American English like text from social media. Um, and, and, you know, there's two like very you know, obvious reasons. I think one is you want to know how these systems work because there might be kind of significant fairness or harm implications, right? The other, I think, is because my advisor, the lab in general, is very competition science oriented. And if you wanted to make use of this, you know, look, look at use social media data, for example, for um, computational sociolinguistics, and you are using automated tools like you know, a part of speech tagger or a parser or a language ID system, right? Like you would want to make sure that they um, that, that they were going to work well enough that you could, or evenly enough, right, that you could mm. get, you could rely on like your results. So, um, and what came out was obviously, I think unsurprisingly, that, that, that these systems really exhibit significant performance disparities and different kinds of social media texts. Um, yeah, and that uh, sort of got me really interested in these, these questions of, um, you know, how uh, language technologies, you know, uh, uh, work, how they ought to work. And at first, I think it was quite narrowly focused on questions of just, you know, fairness, right? Like, you know, in different language varieties, um, how might differences or different kinds of language features, right? There's people talk in all kinds of different ways. How might NLP systems, language technologies perform on them? Uh, but I think it really did just, uh, you know, when I, I also interned at Microsoft Research in, in New York a couple summers ago, and um, I think that turned into much, broad, much broader questions about like how, um, as a field, as an NLP, right? Are we conceptualizing bias? What's it mean when we say, you know, things are biased? When we provide measurements of bias or harm, what are we doing? Right? What kinds of claims are we making? What different kinds of harms might language technologies give rise to? What kinds of stakeholders are accounting for? These kinds are accounted for. These kinds of very, I don't know, uh, sort of um, meta-level questions about like what are we doing and uh, uh, when we're thinking about, you know, bias and harm. Uh, in NLP. So this is this is still what I'm thinking about uh, since I've come to MSR. So I'm postdocing now. So, uh, but since I've come to MSR, I've been increasingly interested in also questions around sort of like organizations, right? How um, you know it in practice, right? I mean, you know this, like the 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 systems, the language technologies that end up, you know, that people end up encountering or touching actually are produced in industrial settings, and so when we think about measuring social impacts, measuring harm, thinking about, you know, to, who do the, to whom do the benefits of these things accrue, right? Um, we, we want to know something about these systems and that's pretty difficult uh, to, to get us, you know, to, to get a sense of the things I'm really interested in. So I guess I, I uh, in my work, I guess I am indebted to tons and tons of different fields, right? Uh, so obviously NLP, but, but also tons of fields that have something to say about language, uh, like sociolinguistics, right? Linguistic anthropology, um, you know, uh, applied linguistics or fields that have some, something to say about how language works in society, how language constructs our social world, right? How people contest the world through language, right? Um, 
but also fields like, uh, you know, fairness and justice and machine learning, right, which really grew up mm -hmm. sort of at the same time that I was in grad school and it really helped shape my yeah. thinking a lot. Uh, increasingly now, like HCI and other fields that have something to say about, like, how do we understand the impacts the systems have on people? Um, and being human computer interaction. Computer yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm not at all HCI trained and but uh, um, but it kind of hanging out with people who are, you know, getting a sense of, okay, there are design methods, right? Or there are kind of approaches for thinking about how to include people in problem formulation, right? In different kind of stages of the design process and also different kinds of methods for thinking about, you know, what are the impacts on people, right? How people maybe uh, um, beyond just kind of automated measurements, right? Uh, so yeah, so right now I'm just trying to, I don't know, like not explode from trying to think about like all these directions and like all these people who I, you know, really love to work with and uh, all these kinds of questions around like where are language technologies deployed? How do people encounter them? Like how might you refuse, how, how might you say no to them, right? If you don't want mm. to, you know, your data collected, if you don't want to participate in how, um, how do you know, how do we know when they get it wrong, right? Uh, um, what kinds of things, like what kinds of ideas we have, like drive how they get deployed and how do they reshape, you know, our ideas about language and I don't know, just a million things. Yeah. It's a, it's a very rich question. Definitely feels certain to me and I would imagine also to a lot of the sort of practitioners who are, who are listening that we are at crossroads in what can do with language technology and i mean not just like from a technical standpoint right like i mean obviously transformers have really changed what applications are are feasible uh but also from a frankly legal standpoint <laughs> things are changing pretty quickly in terms of legislation um and also from a what will not only what will consumers accept standpoint but also what do consumers want, right? How can we build systems that work well, that meet the needs of the company building them? Because I mean, there's no way to get around that, right? Uh, people aren't going to build something for, for no reason. Um, but also are genuinely, not just friendly, but useful and uh, fair. Uh, and it's a yeah. 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 There's no shortage of interesting questions. I think one thing that's really interesting about what you just said is is thinking about the law, right? And what the law has to mm -hmm. say about language technologies. Um, and 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 uh, you know, I I have been talking to you know, of course, there's been a lot of conversations about this after um the EU legislation, but also like FTC, FTC, right? Um, yes. um guidelines. I guidelines. Think yeah. And so I'm not a legal expert at all, but I, you know, I don't know. I I don't really know anything about law, but I do find this question. I find this question really interesting, I think, because it's clear to me, um, and, for, and for this thinking, I'm definitely indebted to folks at MSI, including Solon Bogus, um, how, uh, how a lot of the, the ways we, we know how to measure kind of like bias or fairness in language technologies and NLP mm -hmm. is inherited from fairness and machine learning, whatever, which itself inherits from anti-discrimination law in the United States, right? Which is a very particular way of thinking about fairness or whatever. Mm. Um, and, you know, oh, is my you know system equally uh, uh, well? So you know, often it's about you know, does how does my system allocate opportunity this opportunity resource, right? Like the jobs or credit or whatever. And then more broadly, you know, is it equally performant in some way, right? According to some measurement, like across different social groups or something. Uh, and so one interesting, really huge open question is like, 
you know, does the law have anything to say about um, these other kinds of harms that language systems can give rise to? Uh, right, for example, like, you know, what does, so it's kind of easy to imagine how you might bring the law to bear on questions, issues like, oh, um, I don't know, like you, you voice recognition, you car, your car, you get into your car and like, you know, it doesn't work for me, but it, like it works, you know, it works with somebody with like much lower pitched voice, right? Like a man, say. Yes. And like, you know, I can't make the car do what I want to, but like it, you know, somebody else can. It just clearly is a product that just like doesn't work for like large segments, like, you know, like portion mm -hmm. of the population. And I think I could see how you might, the law might have something to say about that, right? But you can think about, you know, oh, language technologies, they, they reproduce particular stereotypes, right? Or they might be really demeaning or offensive, right? To people mm -hmm. or, um, or, or derogatory, or uh, they, um, or you know they 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 like um, produce like kind of like misinformation or mm. you know they radicalize people you know people use these systems to radicalize people online right or I mean all these kinds of things where you're just like you know they they just erase people right or you know make it difficult for you to participate in public discourse right because your posts get re removed whenever they mention this topic or, or because of mm. your language features mm. or whatever right like what what does the law have to say about all of these things that could happen? Uh, especially because these are sort of what we often think of as like representational harms or harms of, that are about like how people are represented and and not so much about like I'm gatekeeping you I'm I'm deciding who gets like a resource or an opportunity. So and and I and I don't know uh, I don't know how we might think about that. Uh, so yeah, and as a little bit of a um, uh, an example that I think is very current is uh, someone on on Twitter today being recorded on ooh, uh, April 26th, uh, was mentioning that TikTok had censored the phrase Asian women, but not ooh. Asian men or black women, like specifically okay. the phrase Asian women. Oh gosh, um, I so want to know why, like why this happened, like what block yeah. list or whatever were they using? Yeah. Uh, hard to say. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> we can speculate, perhaps it was some sort of, um, dictionary based on on terms found in you know a online pornography database or something like that hard to say but this is something that like it's not stopping asian women from getting a job right but it may be preventing people from uh, discussing aspects of their identity and finding you know, solidarity versus in the public sphere and i i think it's clear that that's a harm and Conversely, I think that the people who made that change would say, well, no, we're preventing harm for these. Um, and I don't think, again, not a lawyer, talk to a lawyer. I don't think there's like a clear answer there setting aside the like uh, ethical and access issues. No, I don't think there is either. And I think there's, for me, there's a couple things that come to mind. Like one is like, mm. this, this very much brings to mind also recent research uh, about um, like toxicity detection systems, right? Which form like yeah. a core component of these kinds of things. They're often like, you know, the automated part of like a, a content moderation system or whatever. I don't know if that's operating here, but you know, they operate in a lot of places uh, and how they treat um, like mentions of disability, right? So like mm. text that mentions disability, either like physical or, you know, so, so like, I, like, you know, a sentence is like, I am deaf, right? Or like, you know, like um, mental disability, you know, any of these kinds of things, they get disproportionately um, treated as very toxic. So it's like, I am deaf is, you know, like get the score of, I don't know, whatever, really, really high is like, much more likely to be removed, right? Or flagged as toxic or something. And you can, I mean, you can imagine why this happens, right? It's because mm -hmm. uh, people actually do use like mentions of disability as like, you know, 
derogatory, right? And yeah. so like as insults, and so they often get labeled as toxic or whatever, but then, okay, then people who are just talking about like, you know, their lives or, you know, like engaging in like really valuable, advocates. yeah, really valuable public discourse about like disability, right? Like that, you know, so so this is like a really, that, that to me is like huge. Uh, and we urgently need like a lot more research to figure out like, why is this happening? Where is this happening? And who's being impacted? The other is um, this question of like sort of like indirect stakeholders, right? And I think Emily Bender has brought this up in her, um, some of her like presentations kind of, um, you know, thinking about, you know, harms in, in NLP with respect to different kinds of stakeholders. And, and you can think of, right, like there's direct, there's some systems where like you're, you're like a really direct user, right? You go out and look for it. Like you're like, I want to go translate something. Let me go to Google Translate, right? There's some things where you're a direct user maybe, but like you don't really have a choice, right? So I think Emily Bender's example is like, um, like a like a resume filter or something, right? And like yeah. you upload your resume and like you don't really have a choice of this thing is operating, right? Like, you know, over your resume to see whether like you're, you're you know, you're qualified. But then like there's all these indirect users, like I didn't write a post on social media, but like I am on social media and I like see like the accumulated out like effect of like decisions to remove posts or not, right? Mm. And we don't have any way of measuring something like, okay, like what is the accumulated like impact of you know, removing like, you know, if if disability is treated as like super toxic and like it gets removed a lot of like a, very often, or what's the cumulative impact of this on public discourse? Um, and how maybe are like, you know, people's like, how is it impeached collectively, right? Our ability to talk about things? How does it like, uh, how, how do we measure the impact of people's ideas about like, you know, certain topics or groups of people or certain kinds of language or whatever? And like, all, all we know how to measure is maybe something like whose post got deleted, but not like, what is the what is the collective social impact of like these things right and i don't think we have any way of accounting for that yeah and i would say that's a a big problem you know, a discussion that's again just been happening a lot recently mind is um people who get death threats having their accounts still fit and people who are making the death threats not having that happen um and in particular it seems to happen more did people's accounts get deleted after they receive death threats if they are of a marginalized identity? Although it could be that those are more likely to receive death threats. I mean, it's hard to say. And it's hard to get, especially, like, let's say I don't run Twitter. <laughs> I don't have access to the to the fire hose. Um, it's hard to say, you know, the degree to which is a problem, how often it's happening. It's happening often enough that users have known the problem, but, you know, are four high-profile accounts getting deleted um, going to shift a larger conversation, right? Or even a certain social mm -hmm. network. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Say, right. Hard to measure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this, when you were saying this, that brought up my three things, but we'll see if I can keep them all in my head long enough to actually <laughs> say what they are. So one of them is like, like this question of like community audits, right? Mm -hmm. Like how do people, so people often like, you know, become aware of issues often just through lived experience. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and so how, and sometimes people have actually sort of like by like, you know, done these sort of community collective audits of like systems, right? So like, I think the, the, the one that we we saw, we've all seen maybe on Twitter was like, um, you know, like Twitter's cropping like algorithm, right? Like how does, and, and that was one where people collectively were like, okay, so I, I, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to post a post and see what happens, right? And enough people do that, right? You get like something like an audit, right? That is not that is, you know, you don't have access to like this thing, but like you can access it, right? By having enough people collectively like test it and, and see what happens. Background on this for folks who may be listening. What happened was if there was a picture with uh, a white person's face and a black person's face, 
it would be cropped such that the white person's face was centered and you'd have to click on the big image to um, and there were a lot of tests done on this to make yeah the like period no matter like people tested oh what happens if I like re like change the ordering right change the position or whatever right you know have the white face on like in the upper left corner like the white face in like the bottom right corner like whatever and like it just always seemed to uh, have and and I think I, I think Twitter said like they were they were uh, you know responsible like you know thinking about like more responsible I don't know what their effort is but called but I think they said this is one thing they're going to look into right so collectives so it was, like one question is like how do you sort of enable Collective audits, especially for systems where you don't have access to, or so you have, may not really know anything about the algorithm, um, but maybe you do have access to some kind of outcome, right? And so mm -hmm. you can test that. Um, one other thing that also occurred to me is, uh, you know, just thinking about um, content moderation. I think it's like a really great example of these, like sort of like larger like systems where the automated NLP part is just a small is just a part, right? And like your question of like how well your NLP system is doing is sort of like it's not very useful to ask how that part is doing outside of like the rest of the content moderation pipeline, right? Because like, however your NLP, your toxicity system is doing, right? Like it makes a difference whether the rest of the pipeline is something like, oh, you just have a lot of freedom in reporting things or they don't, or it's very easy to contest stuff or it's not, or like it's very easy to block somebody who's harassing you, no questions asked, or it's very impossible. It's imp like all of those things are just as important as like whatever decisions your NLP component is making, right? And like yeah. how that feeds into those. Um, and I think the last thing I think I, I did remember all of these things uh, is uh, as they thinking, I think, I mean, I think content moderation is, is so interesting because it brings up all of these issues, right? Is that um, mm. that how people experience harassment in the world is like so different, right? Like they're like according mm. to kind of like different different identities, different social groups, and this is one of those th issues which is so clear to me that like different errors are really like different in kind for different groups mm. of people, right? And so I, I mean, I, I think one thing that I'm thinking a lot about, right, is like what does it mean to enforce um, say equality of predictive performance, right? When like different errors for different people, different social groups might really mean different things. Um, and, you know, if harassment is experienced in a much, you know, different way for some people, right? Like much more severely or something like, so what does it mean to say that like an error is the same for you as it is for like, you know, somebody else? Uh, should we do that? Um, and, you know, if, if we, and, and, you know, what might we do that looks different? perhaps than like equality of predictive performance. So I don't really know how to think about this yet, but it seems to me that like we should experience, like we should not experience, we should recognize, uh, this is a great phrase from Zolan, like the specificity of different groups experience in the world, right? And like, mm -hmm. I mean, like, you know, recognizing that sometimes errors really are, our systems are experienced in different ways by different people. Uh, mm -hmm. Then if so, what do you do, right? How do you measure performance? Yeah, I think a, a good example of, uh, of that might be something like, um, there's been a lot of discussion recently of automated proctoring, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of them are, I would say, extremely invasive. <laughs> like, is horrifying the word? <laughs> yeah, um, like you're required to show your entire living space, uh, like so that you can take the exam, so that you pass school, and you're not allowed to not go to school. Um, so people really, students don't have the option to opt out of this. Um, and know if you are in a uh, a living situation where it's fine somebody to, to see everything um that's very different than if you're in a living situation let's say you're living in your car or your family's living in your car which is um much more common especially on the west coast um that, that students 
have permanent housing. So what happens in that case, right? Um, what happens when you have an, an unstable internet connection um, and uh, the internet connection you know, cuts out and that's going to happen more to poorer students probably or students who have uh, restricted uh, data access for various reasons. Um, yeah, and that, that error is going to affect some students more than others. And to, to be clear about my stance on automated proctorating systems, uh, I think they are cool <laughs> and uh, completely unnecessary um, and, and deeply um, privacy violating. Um, and I don't think the benefit of, uh, you know, ensuring that no student possibly could look at the textbook during the exam is, is worth that degree of, of privacy invasion. Um, Did you see the tweet? Uh, uh, I, uh, um, I saw some tweet where somebody was saying that their kid got uh, Zoom detention. And I was like horrified. I was like, what university have we moved into where like, you know, like, I think the, the worst thing was that I think this particular child like, got Zoom detention because they had a hard time like focusing on Zoom in the earlier class. And I was like, what productive purpose is sitting on Zoom more zoom for detention supposed to serve anybody right like mm. it, it was just i don't know it felt very it felt it felt very dystopian uh yeah. to me like you know how divorced you are i mean we were talking about zoom detention right from like actually like thinking about positive outcomes for students um but to station um maybe towards more solutions or suggestions um for for people who are working on, on conversation AI. I mean, I guess part of the good thing is usually um, the people I, I talk to are building systems that uh, the output is not publicly available, right? So the, the content moderation is not quite as big of a uh, part of the system. Um, but there are definitely places where taking social considerations <laughs> that's probably a better way to say that, um, are important. Um, and I mean, just right off the bat, language identification. Um, so very common people to want to build um, assistance for multiple languages or multiple systems get sent to one or the other. Um, yeah, I don't know. What would suggestion would you have for somebody in that situation? I think that's the end of my sentence there. <laughs> you mean for language identification, like specifically or just like conversational, like, you know, like AI, like more generally? Um, either. Oh man, okay, it's super broad. I mean, so uh, I think there's a lot of things. I think for me, a big question, a big thing is to in inspect like the decisions that we make at every part of the pipeline, like really carefully and to surface like any kind of like, you know, med assumptions or meta beliefs that have been made, right? That we are carrying, yeah. right? So like, you know, if you're thinking about language and identification, which, you know, I somehow thought that like that task could fall by the wayside now that we just do everything end to end now or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, like language identification, right? Like it kind of actually embeds like a particular set of beliefs, right? Like one is that you can bound language varieties, which isn't actually, you know, um, very difficult. If you think about it, right, it's very difficult to do, right? Like what's within the boundaries of like, you know, what's considered standardized or standard English, right? What's considered African-American English, right? Like, what's the difference? Like, how do you know when a tweet or, you know, is in one or the other, right? Is, is there a principal way to do that? I'd say no. Um, and then, you know, the other said, okay, like, you know, the actual set of languages or, you know, whatever that you're considering. So, and this is just for language identification, but I think there's 
all of these things carry, like we, we always carry like uh, in problem, as we do problem formulation, as we design evaluations, as we decide on annotation schemas and, and you know, like who we want annotating and how, what speakers count. And, uh, you know, all these things we're always thinking about like who counts, what language varieties count, what perspectives count, uh, you know, it, and there's a lot of little places where these things like where our decisions make a difference, right? So like if you get people to annotate stuff and then you like you take the majority, well, well congrats, like, you know, unless you've like sought out minority perspective, it is very possible like there's been some disagreement, right? That has been smoothed over uh, just because language is subjective, it's contested, right? I mean, people who work in conversation know, you mean, I don't have, I guess I don't yeah, have to really tell you this. <laughs> you know, if you, you, you ask somebody, is this an empathetic response? You ask 10 people, like you're not gonna get the same answer. Um, so I think, uh, and of course, it's really easy to get down the rabbit hole of like, okay, well, you know, um, maybe, you know, there's no way to bound language variety or whatever, right? And this can so I don't, I'm not saying like you, you cannot choose a way to do it, right? Or, you know, take this problem, recognize it's impossible to do perfectly, but you're gonna try, right? But I still think, I, I think it is really helpful to like, try to deliberately surface as many of these like little like sort of decisions that have been made implicitly. Uh, and to think about, you know, what gives rise to them, right? And um, uh, and of course, I, I always think that, uh, I mean, I guess this goes without saying, right? But uh, I'm going to say it anyway, uh, it is involving, you know, different speakers, uh, different people. Absolutely. Um, one, just because there's really no way of, uh, you know, um, uh, like your outsider best guess of language use is like not going to be, <laughs> it's like yes. not what you want. Another <laughs> is, like, yeah, yeah it's, and, and you know, of course I say this not because like, you know, it's like these, it, um, I, I, you don't bring in like different people in order to like offload the responsibility of like doing like fairness or bias or like harm's work on mm -hmm. those people, right? But we do it because people deserve a say in like how the technologies are built. Sometimes the answer is, well, I mean, this is not a good solution probably for, for practitioners. Sometimes the solution is genuinely not to build at all because people don't want it. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, the chatbot yeah. space, that is, does it need to be a chatbot is question number one. And the answer yeah. is only sometimes. Yeah, and so so I don't know. I, I think most of these things, right? So it's just like recognizing uh, that there is no. I, I don't see right like ever like an end point for this kind of like I don't know the like fairness or bias or harm's work or whatever that I think about, right? Like if if we're thinking about like you know how do we how do we distribute the benefits of technology in like a fair way? How do we make sure people aren't harmed, right? How do we don't reproduce harmful ideas, right? I think of these as like okay, then 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 our processes have to be iterative and like continuous and you just have to you know and just like always interrogate your decisions and just you know accept that like and also accept i think like dissensus as a thing right and just mm -hmm. you know one thing we maybe don't know how to do in nlp is to figure out like what happens when people disagree on if this is a good piece, a good output this is this is a good output right this is something my top would say people will disagree and this is just like a fact of like you know, social life, a fact, it's like a, you know, a fact that when things are deployed, some people will think it's great and some people will say, I, I hate it. Uh, and so to think like, you know, okay, like given that these things are deployed in these social, you know, in, in, in our social world, like how do we think about this dissensus? Uh, I don't have an answer for that, but I think, um, <laughs> uh, but, but I think, um, I guess that one, maybe one last thing I'll say is that I recognize that like, it's super hard to do this kind of like fairness or bias or whatever work. It's just really hard because 
especially because language is so hard. Language is complicated. It's messy. It's, it's subjective, right? It's very contextual. It, language is entangled with identity in so many ways, right? And language shapes our like collective understanding of like our shared reality, right? How we understand the world. And like even something as straightforward as like make sure this system, uh, you know, has exhibits equal predictive performance across social groups, like mm-hmm. gets so hard, like immediately, right? Because you're like, oh, do I mean language produced by different groups of people? Or do I mean language about different groups of people? Do I, am I worrying about things that are like by proxy associated with groups like names or pronouns? Am I like worried about like linguistic features, like features of A, E or L where like, I don't know if this was produced by a speaker, but like, this seems like a feature, you know, like, do I attach this feature to like a social group or not, right? Like, it's so hard. And so a question that seems really easy is actually not. Um, so I'm, super sympathetic to this like I I, I <laughs> don't imagine it's easy and, and I think just like you know the like tra- transparency and like you know it's tra- like, transparency in terms of like okay like you know I, I don't know how to account for everything I can't account for anything but like here are the things I thought about very explicitly and like why I thought about them right um is a way we like collectively make progress yeah something I like to <laughs> uh is that uh in technology, nothing is inevitable, right? Yeah. Like any decision uh-huh. made in a product is a decision. Even if you're like, just like, I'm going to use the thing everybody else uses. And like, I consider this to be neutral. I mean, you're still choosing to amplify the systems that are already in use. And that may or may not be a good choice for the population. It may or may not be a good, good choice for like a specific individual in your population. Um, it's hard. And I think for thinking about, you know, that sort of variation and how people react to a system, um, one thing is definitely um, giving people, specifically for conversational AI and chatbots, uh, a way not to interact with the assistant. Like for some people, mm-hmm. it's great. It's what they like. But usually it is augmenting some sort of human conversational structure where people are talking, giving people the option to talk to humans um, or to do things another way, right? Rather than the conversational interface, um, I think can go a long way towards helping those people for whom a conversational system is not the best way to, to get done what they need to get done, which is going to be some people. Um, yeah. And then I had a note that I wrote down and wow, can I not read that? It looks like indirect lasers, but I don't think that's what I. Oh, I'm man. If I knew how to talk about indirect lasers, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> indirect stakeholders, maybe. Um, uh, yeah, maybe. A stakeholder seems like a longer word than lasers. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Clearly, it wasn't that important. If I if I didn't uh, didn't yeah. remember it. But I, I, I mean, I love this point, right, that, that you made about, like, the non-inevitability of technology, right? Like, to, mm-hmm. what we build, I mean, like, the things, systems that exist that people encounter are just the accumulation of, like, a bunch of everyday decisions. And um, the more we can, like, you know, surface those decisions and make ourselves accountable for those decisions, like, you know, uh, I think the better will be, you know, because you don't, you don't know what you don't know, but, like, as long as you don't know why things have emerged the way they are, you can't really, you know, change them, right, or contest them, whatever. And I think it's particularly for, for people in the NLP space, I think it's really important, even for practitioners, know the history of the field. I know this is such like an academically trained thing to say, um, 
But I, I think that something that I run into a lot that's pretty common is people um, who have like never built or in, well, or think they haven't interacted with a rule-based system. Um, and sometimes like they work great. <laughs> sometimes rules are what you need, you know? Um, and not having sort of the historical um, understanding of the development of NLP and sort of the steps that we took through to get where we are now and how that affects like, um, you know, A, the questions, the tasks that we work on, um, B, the approaches that we use, and C, sort of formalizations and abstractions and operationalizations of... I can never say that word. <laughs> ...quote-unquote unstructured <laughs> text or, or speech or whatever and turning it into numbers. Um, yeah. I think yeah. it really helps to highlight these were choices. These were all choices made by, like, specific people. In, yeah. Like, I don't know, Bell Labs or whatever. And, and like specifically also, like I think, you know, one thing that uh, come into contact with other people thinking about, uh, you know, other people who are not computer scientists who've come into, uh, you know, this, this, this fairness and machine learning space, right, uh, is thinking a lot about like, so, you know, when you talk to people from other disciplines, right, it really forces you to recognize like the boundaries of like your own, like, I mean, both the things that you know, but also just like how you think about the world, right, your epistemology, mm -hmm. like how, like what's the, like what, do you think constitutes knowledge or progress or whatever? Like, what is a good solution? All kinds of, and we're, in, in CS, I mean, like, we're trained in a particular way, right? We're trained in, like, okay, like, you know, you want to abstract away everything that is not, like, that is not, that you cannot write down in code, right? Like, if it's, mm -hmm. can't write it down, it's too messy, right? Uh, and your, you know, speed, efficiency is good and um, portability is good. And, like, you want a system that is, like, you know, you can, like, move from one context to another, right? And that's good. That's mm -hmm. progress. And, and it's like not these are not like universally terrible things, but also sometimes they just like are deeply at odds with like how language works in the world, right? How the world works, how people talk to each other, uh, communicate with each other, and uh, you know, I think it's like it's really like you know, you think about it, it's, it's a little absurd to imagine that like one you know NLP solution you should you know for this context for this group of people for this like you know like goal you should just be able to pick it up and you know move it over here and it should work just as well, right? Whatever. So like. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I I think a lot. I think re more recently about how you know, like where I don't know, my training is actually like useful, and where it kind of is actually like you know, actually it's not that useful because it's 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 making me like adopt this assumption of whatever that actually is you know at odds with like what what would really be useful or helpful. And there's people who've of course like academics who've written about this, um, but yeah, it's something I kind of. Um, I'm trying to like figure out like okay what <laughs> why do I think this is a good idea right or whatever why do I think this is the way, how, way I have to evaluate this or this the solution has to be like this yeah and I think a a, a good sort of more concrete example that I run into a lot is um so like we all know machine learning is great right <laughs> more machine learning um you know more data more you know neurons you get better results right um and that's Particularly conversational AI, particularly for languages without a lot of training data, just straight up not the case. Um, you know, it's not necessarily going to help your system to use the pre-trained model that requires, you know, 10,000 examples to fine-tune. For example, if you have 400 and that's what you have, um, in that case, you know, stepping back and being like, okay, so this is the book I had. This is what everyone says, but it's not helpful for me in this situation, and it's not going to help my eventual. What can I change? What can I do different? Mm -hmm. 
totally. Yeah. And for, I guess for researchers, right, a lot, a hard part of this is sometimes like, if I do the thing that I think actually works well for this use case, can I publish it? And sometimes the answer to that is no, <laughs> <laughs> but that's maybe a problem with research incentives and not, you know, uh, and yeah. So we have um, just a couple minutes. I know you've got a lot going on this week. Um, but is there anything that you would like to say to the community or anything you have to pitch or um, anything to, to look out for? I would, I will actually pitch for you. Uh, your, your patient just came out and um, I would highly recommend at least like skimming it and picking out a couple of chapters if you are thinking about things like um, you know, systems existing in a social setting, which they do, <laughs> they all do if you're working on conversational AI. Um, so it's very, very, um, uh, I think, helpful to have um, understanding and some citations, getting to understand um, what the effects of that are and how to think about that. Well, thank you. I should say, uh... It's a little bit scary to think about people reading it. Like, you know, you think of the dissertation as like the version maybe nobody's supposed to read, but, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, there are like, um, I, I did try to like bring together like a lot of, uh, you know, citations from like all these other fields. And I guess maybe one thing I'll pitch, you know, I don't know, pitch is not the right word, but one thing I'll say is really, um, that very little of what we do in NLP is like really new, right? Like, and, and in some ways, right? Okay, maybe like the technology is new, but but the things we have to say about language are really not new, and uh, and like the social relations that you know these systems are growing out of are also not new, right? And 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 there's like so much to be learned if we're thinking about you know building better better conversational AI or say, like you know safer systems or systems that don't reproduce harmful ideas or whatever. There's like so much from other fields where people have thought about like language and society and people and how these things are related, right? And and I'll say not just like linguistics, so although I you know do love sociolinguistics, but feels like education. Uh, you Absolutely. know, like where, like where um, almost nowhere else, right? Is like language like contested and recontested and recontested like like all the time, right? People are grappling over language and ideas about language are inculcated and all these kinds of things. And and a lot of what you might think of as resistance to like harmful ideas about language, right, happens, for example, in education. So there's like, if we, if we want to think about like, uh, you know, building better systems, uh, more equitable, equitable systems, um, uh, I, you know, it really makes sense to think about what these other folks have to say, right? Not reinvent the, reinvent the wheel. It's just also like, you know, honor all the work that they've done, right? Like, you know, people who have done the thinking about like, you know, language and like how, how language um, serves or contests oppressive systems, whatever, right? Like, you know, um, have done this often with experience, so like often at a great cost, right? Like, you know, it's something we really want to, um, uh, it's thinking that we really should bring aboard and and, and uh, really value. Um, and yeah, I mean, other than that, man, I don't know so many things. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I, you know, I think I'll stop, I, I, I'll maybe stop there. I mean, I could sort of put on an Emily Bender hat a little bit and say maybe like slow science, right, or slow NLP, right, and and really thinking deeply about like who our systems are for, what we're building for, um, whether things need to be built at all, uh, you know, who is, is, is uh, who is involved in the process, right, and all these kinds of questions, but, you know, that's, there's a lot of things to think about in that space, so I'll just kind of, yeah, thank you. Ah, thank you. And a wonderful conversation and it's great to actually like uh talk 
it's so good to finally meet you it really like yeah. I feel like I've been like giving like lots of presentations this day like Chapman 2017 paper. so it's like <laughs> nice to finally finally get to talk about stuff totally. yeah and I think there was uh, a lot of food for thought here for, for the conversation line community and, and practitioners and um, oh, lots of stuff to, to carry around and unpack and I, mean, I certainly haven't thought through it all. So if, any, if anybody wants to talk to me about it, uh, please do. And you are uh, on Twitter? Yes. All the, to yes. Um, and also a very, very sporadically updated website. Um, and yeah, and, and an email address too. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for joining me today, Lynn. Uh, thank you for joining us as a community. And stay tuned. Uh, we will shout out our new contributors. Thank you for watching. Thanks for joining for the Raza Chats podcast today. Um, as always, I want to take a moment to shout out all of our new contributors to Raza Open Source. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Raza Contributor Community. We are delighted to have you. Uh, and if I mispronounce your name, uh, please get in contact with me and I will correct it in the next time I do the podcast. So without ado, further ado, let's thank our contributors. Maximilian Bischoff, Nth Attempt, Talis0248, Soma Nagay, Steve Lamb, Rafael Todosio, Caio Giorizado Uch, Louis Owen, Ayuri Severo, Armin Jindal, Ayush Anand, Bas Berg, and Satyajit Patanayak. Thank you so much, everybody, for your contributions. We're delighted to have you. Welcome to the contributor community. Um, and we look forward to seeing what you do in the future. Everyone else, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope this was helpful and informative and fun. And we will see you next time in Raza Chats. Talk to you then.